You're listening to The Righteous Made Perfect, a podcast about faith, life, ministry, and everything that pertains to being the people of God made perfect through faith. Today on the podcast, I interview Bob Swain. Bob is the preacher for the Aniana Church of Christ in Aniana, Alabama. He's been there since 2000, so he's working on his 24th year now, and he has had a successful ministry. The church there has grown and done well, and so he talks to us about having longevity in ministry, so maybe sticking with the church and working through problems and how you can do that. And so if you're a minister, I think this podcast will be valuable for you. If you're a church member, I think it'll be valuable for you as well. I think too often we want to get rid of the preacher or find the magic preacher fix, and Bob talks to us a little bit about that. Beyond being a great preacher and friend, Bob is also my first cousin, and so we were grateful to have him this week for a gospel meeting, and glad he took time to be here on the podcast with us. And today on the podcast, I have Bob Swain. Bob, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Appreciate you having me on the podcast. Yeah, glad to have you. You're actually in office, so you guys may hear a little bit of the echo from the walls here in the office. We're uh, recording here. Bob's here with us this week for a gospel meeting. And uh, ask him if he'd stop in, record a podcast episode with us today, and so that's why he's here. Uh, talk a little bit about what's going on in the meeting, what he's been preaching about. He's been having some sermons geared more towards the Christian life and practical Christianity. He's done a great job so far, and tonight will be our last night. We're recording on Wednesday, and so he's going to finish our meeting up. Uh, Bob's no stranger to this place, and I want to talk to him just a little bit about um, how he got into ministry and how long he's been in ministry and things like that, and then we'll go into our subject. So tell us a little bit about how you got into being a preacher. Well, it's one of those uh, stories that I probably many of the preachers in the brotherhood would tell with a father who was a minister, Wayman Swain, which many of you knew. I think he held a lot of gospel meetings here in Plain Dealing, was the preacher here for a little while. But being raised in his household, you, you get to see the life of a preacher or minister, and he had a big impact on encouraging me to be a preacher. He started me preaching when I was just a teenager. I remember the very first time he ever called me in his office and kind of sat down and said, Hey, I'm going to be out of town here in a couple of weeks and I need you to fill in for me. And I was 14 or 15. I can't remember. And he gave me a sermon outline book by Melvin J. Wise and said, there's a really good sermon in here on page 64 here. Use that. And so I did. I'm talking about like photocopied it straight out of the book. (laughs) <laughs> threw in my own threw in my own little notes on the side and preached. And that was the first time I preached. And I didn't really think at that time that I wanted to be a preacher. Uh, I, even when I left for college, I uh, went to Faulkner University. And I knew I could get a Bible degree there, but my intentions when I first went were to get a Bible degree and something else and maybe preach on the side or fill in, do fill-in work. But while I was there, I, I did come in contact with Wendell Winkler, who was the Dean of Biblical Studies at the time. And he called me in, I think, my sophomore year and said, why are, you, why are you double majoring? And I said, well, I don't want to be a full-time preacher. Well, why not? And I said, well, I don't want to move around every couple of years, which is what we had done even with Wayman as a, as a preacher. We moved every two to three years. And he said, well, you don't have to. So you can, you can still preach and just choose somewhere. And I was like, really? And he said, yes, yeah. just find somewhere you like and stay there. And um he encouraged me to drop the other major and focus on Bible, and I did. And I started my senior year, which would have been 1992. There was a little church just outside of Montgomery. I say just outside, about an hour drive from Montgomery, Camden, Alabama. 
and their preacher had moved and they needed somebody to come down and preach for them. So I started my senior year driving down every Sunday and preaching both services for them. I guess that's when my preaching career started. I hadn't even graduated college yet, but I was preaching full time for them every Sunday. And then I graduated and went out and uh, started working in Greenville, Mississippi for about five years as a youth minister. But while I was there, the preacher left and the elders asked me if I would fill in for two months while they looked for an older preacher because I was very young at the time, 23 years old. And uh, 14 months later, I was still preaching and doing youth ministry too, which kind of let me know. At the time, I didn't know if I could make it as a preacher. You know, that, right. that's a daunting thing when you're a young guy just graduating college to know that you've got to take on doing two lessons every week and keep it fresh and keep everybody, you know, focused in and listening. And But anyway, I, I guess that kind of told me I, I could make it. And so I left there and went uh, from there down into Louisiana to Ruston and was there almost two years before um, I moved to Aniana, Alabama in 2000. And it was a little bitty congregation, kind of, a, kind of the congregation I had been raised in, to put it for lack of better terms, just say it was, it was a small church, country church, country people, and kind of what I was looking for because when I was at Ruston, it was once again kind of dual roles of preacher slash campus minister. And so when I got into just preaching a little country church, kind of like what a dad had been raised in, I, I moved there and I told my wife and told the congregation too that I I wanted to move there and stay there, give my kids something I didn't have, and that is to start and finish school at the same place. And this past May, my youngest graduated high school and he went from kindergarten to senior in high school at the same place. And so you've been there for almost 24 years now? I'm in my 24th year of work there. May, so, May 1st started my 24th year. That's pretty impressive. I know we were talking before we recorded. Uh, there's not many preachers that stay somewhere that long. Yeah, a lot you of them. You were asking me if I knew anybody, and there, there's a few. I don't know that I've interviewed anyone on the podcast going longer, but I've known a very few guys. There's yeah. a guy up in Mississippi that he's still at his very first two that I know that are at their very first church, right. and they're in their 60s. Which is super rare. It's rare. rare. It's rare. And, rare. And a lot of times the guys that are at places for long periods of time, it's because that's home. Right. You know, they were raised there. Uh, there's one guy over where I preach, not just been 30 miles of where I preach, and he's been there going on 40 years. But he also went to high school there, left, went to preacher school, came back home. All of his family still lives there. To find a preacher that somewhere for as long as I've been, that it's not home. It's a, it's a, you're a true tra- transplant is pretty rare but but it does happen and a lot of it i guess that's kind of what we're going to talk about a little bit today is was it take to to stay somewhere and uh to have that permanence at a congregation and i think there are a lot of factors that play a part in it so the church is a lot different there before we get into longevity and 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 how uh you know how maybe the day-to-day goes uh with the preacher somewhere in a situation to, to make longevity a thing uh, I know going back when I was working in Arcadia, my very first church I worked with full time, a uh, guy that you know, and I know Brian Harrell. Yes. One, I've been there for about three years and one day we were riding together doing something, fishing or whatever. And he said, how long are you going to stay here? And at the time I, I didn't have any plans on leaving. And I right. said, man, I, I don't know. He said, well, I thought preachers only stayed somewhere for a year or two and then moved. Because yeah. at Archibald, they'd gone through a cycle where I think every year or eight, th- six, think, eight months, they, they were just turning over. I think a lot of churches are in, caught in that cycle. And maybe it's because of the mentality of, like you said, church members just think, well, that's the way they do it. 
I know in the denominational world, uh, like my best friend in high school was the Methodist preacher's son. And I didn't know this until I got to talking to him. The Methodists don't have a choice. Their, their, their hierarchy determines how long they stay and they place them where they think they will be effective or many times it's just like, okay, you've spent your two years here. Let's move you here. Because, and, and I didn't know that because when we lived in Ravel, where dad was preaching in Ravel, where I went to my eighth, ninth and 10th grade year, the congregation in Bastrop opened up and dad took the work and we moved. Well, two months later, my best friend, the Methodist preacher, the, the Methodist church moved his dad to Bastrop. And so we got to spend our last two years of high school as, as close cool. friends. But it was just pure luck of the draw that they moved him where dad had happened to accept the work. But I think you're right. A lot of times churches and maybe members just get caught in a cycle of thinking, well, that's just how it is. But it doesn't have to be. Right. So the church there, when you moved there, y'all's average attendance was what? On a Sunday, we would a good Sunday, we'd have 45. Okay. And now you're, you you told me last Sunday y'all were having about... 175 again. We, we had been bumping close to 200. We were in the 190s several times right before COVID and the pandemic and all that. Right. And we started growing back after, you know, every that kind of changed everything. It did for every congregation, not just ours. But we, I, I say now that I've, I really truly feel like we're recovered from that and you're starting to see people come back and everybody's comfortable and everybody's starting to come back and, um, yeah, I think, I think we bounced back from that pretty quickly here. I don't know if being a little small community helped that or th- yeah. mostly families here. Um, but you know, for whatever reason we bounced back pretty quick, but I've talked to a lot of guys. They, they just lagged on with that thing for oh, two, three years. I know preachers that are still struggling with, it. they're still feeling the, and, the aftershocks of the, of the pandemic. But, but to go from say 50 on a Sunday morning to 175, I mean, every preacher <laughs> that's at a church somewhere would love to say, Hey, I'd love to triple uh, my numbers or, or, or even go more than that. So there's two things here that are unique. One, the church has grown, which is rare in the last 20 years. And number two, you've had this longevity. So what we wanted to talk about a little bit, I think you already alluded to it, was what are some of the keys to, to working with a church for this length of time and then being productive and successful as, as a preacher? So from your point of view. Well, and maybe I don't have the the best point of view on it because I know that I've talked with a lot of guys in the brotherhood and I know my, my thinking is a little bit different from a lot of guys in the brotherhood, but it's probably also very similar with probably a bigger portion of guys who are out there preaching. Um, and I never have put a lot of emphasis on being a big name speaker. And I know there's some preachers that do. They want to be part of lectureships. They want to go and, and, and speak and do things like that. I never have put a lot of emphasis on that. I've always seen my role. My role is not to be known in the brotherhood. My role is to preach where I'm at. I want to kind of bloom where I was planted, you know. And, and once I put my roots down in Aniana, I've always seen my role as I'm the Aniana Church of Christ preacher. That's where I'm going to work. And that's who I'm going to work with. And I think that plays a part in it to some degree. Um, You know, when you read the Bible, the Bible says that God gives the increase. And I believe that to be true. And if you find a group of people, it's not all about the preacher or about me. I think when you find a group of people who are willing to work together, God will give the increase. And there are also some other factors that I think play a part in it that are just geographical. We're close to Birmingham. 
but not real close. Right. They were close enough to be a sleeper community. And for years, I've been there 24 years, and for years, I'm talking about from the year I moved there, there's been talk of them completing the circle interstate around Birmingham. We've already got 459 interstate, which circles the south part of Birmingham. Right. And for years, they're saying they're going to finish that and make it a full loop around Birmingham like Atlanta has, you know. Right. And so I think a lot of people moved in our direction Just in, in anticipation of the fact that Birmingham is going to grow that direct. And it somewhat has. The trustful area kind of has. They, I don't know that they'll ever complete in my lifetime that that loop. But I do believe there are a lot of people who bought land in our direction and, yeah. and maybe even came and built homes and planted families. So you've got access to, you know, if you're, if you're using the parable of the sower, for instance, you've got access to some good soil. Absolutely. And, you know, I remember when I was in Indianola, I'm thinking we baptized something like 11 people and we had like nine restorations and our net numbers went down by two. Right. Because we had seven families moved out of the Delta while I was there. And right. so it was just like a sinking ship. You're trying to bail water, and, yeah. and that's difficult. So Well, the Delta, everywhere in the Delta did that during that time you were there. Yeah, you know. and, and so demographics are going to help. They are. Uh, geographic location is going to help, you yep. know, real estate, location, location. But there's more to it than that. Um, and, and so part of it is going to be how you're working with the church. So I, I'm... I'm Consider I used to be a young preacher, but in the last few years we've had a lot of young. Guys. We're not we're not the preacher boys anymore. No, right? and, you get. Uh, I mean we've got David Dean and Falk, we've got Parker Webster at Carriage Oaks, uh, we've got all these younger preachers around here in their twenties and young thirties, and so now I'm finding myself being the older guy, and I, I'm talking to them a lot about struggles they're having, uh, not just them specifically, but other right. preachers. And you know what I'm finding is 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 a lot of times churches have trouble relating to preachers. Preachers have trouble relating to churches. And, you know, I seem to be okay. You know, we, we don't have, I don't remember the last time we had a fuss or a fight here. And, you know, as a church, I mean, we get along fairly well. And so I think learning to navigate those dynamics are important. So, oh, if you're, if you're going to have longevity as a preacher, you have to be able to read the room and read the congregation and recognize, you know, like you just said, that, that dynamic of, if there's going to be drama, if there's going to be fuss, and I'm not saying walk on eggshells around people, but it's a mentality. If you're going to stay somewhere, it's intentional. Yeah. You've got to go in knowing that somebody's not going to like something you preach on and, and you're, you're going to rub people the wrong way. And what are you going to do about it when you do? Are you going to get puffed up and call them ignorant and say, well, they need to change <laughs> their ways. Or are you going to humbly say, Hey, and go, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. And, and if you have a mentality of humility and of submissiveness to your elders or the men, if you don't have elders, the men of the congregation, I think that it it comes through and the congregation knows that you're there to work for them. And then when you do start to um, build that longevity, once you've been there for a little while, you start to see things are different because you're you're visiting hospitals, you're you're there for births of babies you're there for funerals and uh next month when i first moved to Aniana, i did a wedding for a young couple that they were in high school they graduated high school and i've been there about a year when when the little, little high school girl brought her boyfriend and said hey can we have a bible study and we had a bible study and i baptized him a few months later did their their wedding a few years later they had their first child uh next month I do that child's wedding, you know? So you, you start to, right. you're, you're 
you're ingrained in that community of believers yeah. in a way that many, I, I've always said that I think a preacher doesn't hit his effective stride in a work till five years. And yeah. and that's sad if our average stay is 18 months to 24 months. Yeah. And, and I know you and I have had this talk in private too, and I know you think the same way. Preachers that don't stay somewhere up to five years, they never really get to sort of, dig their tires in or sink their teeth in what you're saying really get to be a part of the community that they live in a part of the community of the church they're in and when you do dig in and you and you're there it pays dividends for you as a preacher as a person you really start to feel like part of a family and if we don't have those family relationships and uh as christians you know, and that even even let's say somebody comes in there visiting. I was reading a book the other day. And said if they don't find four good friends in that church, they're not going to stay at that church. Right. And I guess one of the things that I have done, and I know other preachers that do this too. Yes, it's my job to preach. Yes, it's my job to teach. Yes, I think it's part of my job to visit. But if you primarily were to ask me, Bob, what? has lent itself to my success there and my longevity there. It's because I don't necessarily think that my primary role is preacher or visitor. My primary role, I think is to know everybody well enough and read people that are coming in and visiting well enough to connect them with people that I think they'll be able to make those bonds with. Yeah. I think I think you're dead on. I, I don't remember the book. I don't remember the source. But several years ago, I read a book that broke down your years of ministry. Like year one's the honeymoon. Right. And then year two, you start having your first conflict. Years three to four, a lot of times, two to four, right in there, is where you really may come to loggerheads mm-hmm. on some things. You're, right. You know, you get to where there's the personalities show up. And, and in this book, and I don't remember who the author was and what the source was. I wish I knew. But... I, he was saying essentially the same thing you're saying that if you can get to year six, seven, yep. that you'll start seeing things pay off that you've been working towards. And it takes his idea, his argument was it takes seven years to start changing a church culture. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm on my eighth year here. And I, I cannot, what you're saying, I tell young guys who are frustrated in year two, year three, like, mm-hmm. hey, Get through it if you can't. Yeah, tough it like, out. I mean, if right. it's bad, if there's something sinful going on, if it's right. unreasonable. Well, you'll never you, compromise doctrinal. You'll, right. if, you're, if there's morality you're, issues, they're going to be you, you got to keep your nose clean but, and do what you got to do. But if you can deal through some frustrations, uh, you know, by year six, seven, you're going to see that your personality a lot has become the church's personality. Right. And, and, and what you're saying there, uh, you told me a long time ago when you were moving to Aniana, that one of the great secrets, I don't know if you remember telling me this, but one of the great secrets for a preacher is, is you've got to, you know, and I hate to use the idea that we're a salesman, but if you're not excited about what you're talking about, Absolutely. you know, if you're telling everybody, hey, listen to this good news, but you sound like you're giving a funeral narration, right. you, you know, you're not going to be convincing. And, you know, you can't just beat people over the head. So all that is a part of, hey, I'm going to paint a picture of the culture we want to have in the future, and if you can hang in there for that six, seven years, I think right. you can really see it change. Well, and you can, and and it plays a huge part in uh, the growth of, it, when you say church growth, all everybody ever thinks about is numbers. 
You know, all everybody hears is, do we have more people in the pews? Do we have more people in the seats? Church growth can be about spiritual growth. And when it's about spiritual growth is when you start to see, like you're talking about, the culture of the of the people changing. And I think we got to be careful, even if somebody is just listening to this thing, well, you're trying to, you're trying to be the leader of the church. Well, you are a leader. Absolutely. Christ is the head of the church. But one of my buddies who preaches over in Alabama, he, he refers to, he even has it on his business card. You know, I don't know what your business card says, minister or preacher. Mine, mine says minister. But this buddy of mine has his business card and it has his name and the name of the congregation where he's at. And it says underneath it, vision caster. Nice. And, and I've always thought that was kind of unique because that's what he saw his role is. Let's cast the vision for the future of this congregation. And two, you, you said two things a minute ago that I think are key and very important for longevity of a preacher. You were talking about being the old preacher and talking to the young guys around here. Most preachers I know that have been somewhere for a length of time do sort of have a network of other preachers they talk to whether it be in a preacher's meeting or, you know, they get, we have a monthly preacher's meeting where about 10 or 11 of us from around that area get together and chew the fat, talk shop. Sometimes we just pray together. We lean on each other. Two or three of those are guys that I'll call in crisis time, say, hey, I need a special prayer or whatever. I think that's key. And then you, you're talking about being the old preacher, the old guy. And here you are in your 40s. I'm in my 50s. When you mentioned having the zeal, you got to be excited about what you do, and that is important. But as I've aged and as I've gotten older, I've mellowed a lot. And I think that's a key to staying in a congregation for a long time, too, because if you, you can have zeal without knowledge like you know that's what yeah. the bible says yeah, and part saying. part of the knowledge that i think we lack as young preachers sometimes getting out is the knowledge of of tact you know we got to get up every sunday and call denominations by names and just show how how opposed we are and and i've learned in my time i, I would never compromise doctrine or truth but i also am a lot more mellow and a lot more um i guess just extending of grace and mercy sure. than I used to be, not just to the membership, but to every, even the people in the community. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, you might hear me on this podcast mention this a few times, but uh, I was telling you before that, you know, I wish when I was a young preacher, I didn't go to preaching school. I, I got my degree later in my career. I wish I would have had some older preachers. I had great mentors, but I wish I could have sat in day in, day out with some guys that right. had done it. Uh, and one of the things I wish I'd have done would have been read the pastoral epistles over and over and over. Right. And so I got to digging into those a few years ago. And I noted how many times Paul tells Timothy, there's a few things that just popped out. I started circling every time he'd tell Timothy or Titus one of these things. And it was stuff like this. He says over and over, avoid foolish arguments mm-hmm. or disputes mm-hmm. over words. And look how often... Uh, church fights, whether it's between preachers trying to nitpick one another or be the brotherhood police, mm-hmm. or whether it's with members, well, you said this, or you, you use that word, and this word means that. And Paul told Timothy, don't get involved in that nonsense. Right. And he said, don't get in foolish arguments. But the other thing that popped out was be patient. And I, 
when I first started preaching, I thought, well, I fixed a sermon on this issue. So at the end of the sermon, the people who have a problem with that issue, they're going to come forward, repent. And right. by next week, the issue's gone. Right. And, and it don't work like that. It's not, it's not, not how it happens. <laughs> and well, and, and you, you, you hit on it so hard. You know, when Paul writes to Timothy, he, he gives that great, great passage there where he says, the servant of the Lord, that's us, must, must not strive. Well, okay, just drop the rest of what he's about to say about the whole point that he makes there is that it's a mentality of, basically he says a servant preacher, a minister, got to have some tact. Yeah. Don't don't be in that bulldog, let's fight mentality. I believe the next line is must be gentle. Gentleness. You got to be gentle. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of our preachers aren't gentle. Well, you can, and, and then he goes on to talk about recovering people. Well, you'll never recover anybody. And and I've said this too. Another reason that I think Aniana has grown, um, and like I said, the Lord gives the increase. But I went in with a pretty strong mentality of I wanted to see the church grow as far as new converts. I was fired up about that. Every preacher is, like you said, the year you had eleven baptism. What what what? How could you not be fired up? Right. And I my elders called me in after a few years and wanted me to give a report. They wanted me to type up a report for them every year of just what I did and how many Bible studies I had, how many hospital visits I had, how many baptisms I had. And I'd never really kept a detailed report like that. Well, at first I kind of was like, they're micromanaging me. You know, I got all kind of mad. But after I did it a couple of years, I was like, man, this helps me. This benefits me because I can look back on it. And we had a few years like that. There was one year I had 11 baptisms but I also kept track of the restorations and I'm not talking about the restorate. And, and I had a lot of restoration one year, I think seven restorations of which five were people who were sitting there every Sunday. We call it a restoration, but they're there every Sunday had been there every Sunday. And I was able to go back with that data one year after about four years of doing this, I went back and I was like, okay, we've had 27 restorations, 25 of which, are people who are there every Sunday and they really aren't restoration. They're just needing the prayers. They're struggling. But I, I, and that's what, when I kind of changed my mentality because I went, how many people are we actually restoring? And so I sort of changed my focus one year and I had been the year before I had actually stood up on in January and said, here's your yearly challenge. One person for Christ this year, bring one person to Christ. We for the first three months of the year, man, I hammered it every Sunday. Where's your one person? Have you have you found your one person? Find right. your one person to have a Bible study to bring them to Christ. If we if we do that when church doubles, right? You know, and uh, once I kind of looked at that data, I remember there was one year I think it was back in about 2013 where I stood up and I said, "I want you now. I don't want you to think of a person, your coworker." family member, somebody you can have a Bible study with. I want you to think of somebody who used to come here who doesn't anymore. And let's start reaching out to them. And the next year, and I have the the documentation of I think it's 2014, the next year we had 14 restorations that of the 14, 11 of them were actual restorations. Yeah. And that and that's pretty huge. That was a huge number. And of those eleven, here I am now in twenty twenty three. I could tell you, seven of them are still there. Well, you know, every every church I've worked with, when I moved there, the first year or less or eight months, 
one of the first things I do is I go and meet everyone who's not coming to church right. that's a part of the church that for whatever reason church. quit. On the roll, on the roll, but right, not, on not the coming. Yeah, they, 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 they may have been out five years, three years, whatever. And everywhere I've ever been, I've heard something like this. Well, if everybody in town who was a member was here today, the building would be full. And they're, and they're telling the truth. Yeah, and so I think that's important. Uh, another thing, I'd like to pick your brain on this a little bit. This has been something else I focused on. Uh, and this is maybe one of my favorite things is, um, and, and I don't know that anyone would ever count this as the work of a minister, but one of the things I've done for years now is train song leaders. Oh, man. And so at Mayfield, uh, there are two brothers there, the Bonds, Bradley and Kyle Bond, who mm -hmm. were kids in my youth group, never, never, I mean, Kyle was a tremendous singer already, but, you know, and they led some singing. But we, we taught them music. We taught them how to lead. We, we you know, we've used lads to lead or some, but, I, you know, that's not the whole deal. I mean, but we've got kids yeah. here. And so men who can do Wednesday night devotionals who would never speak in public or could maybe put together mm -hmm. a sermon, guys who are song leading. I don't know how many ministers, I'm, not, I'm sure you do this too. The development of members, men and, and women, and not just for public things like, like preaching and song leading, Christian growth in the church is right. huge. And you, huge. You, you alluded to that earlier. And that's something for me personally. Now, I look back on and I see all these guys who are doing different things that I've helped train them. And man, that, that's super fulfilling. Well, and, and, and the, the frustration with that is when you get a guy like you who's multi-talented because you can sing and you can teach singing and you can preach. And, and not all preachers have that, so they can't train song leaders. But I, I sing and I can teach singing and, and things. And I think it's very important. And that's kind of what I was saying is, as I've always seen my role, I guess I'm going back to what I said, making those connections. Right. It, 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 there are some things I can't teach, but I can put you with the guy who will mentor you in that. Right. And if you can find a young guy or a young lady, find a young lady who likes to cook. Put her with one of those old ladies who's always taking food for people. Find somebody that doesn't. They're not comfortable teaching. Make them their assistant teacher in VBS with a seasoned old veteran. Find these young guys. And, and, and this really doesn't have to do with, your, with what you said, but I'm a, since we're talking about longevity and church growth, um, you, you mentioned training song leaders. And I for, I, for a long time, have believed this. And I don't know if I read it in a book or if I'm just really, really smart and came up with this on my own. I, I think I probably read <laughs> we'll it. I, I probably read it in a book somewhere. And I'm 90% sure I did. I'm just like you. I can't remember. The, the church growth and church health can be two different things. Yes. But if you want to put your fingers on the health of a congregation, you can, you can feel that pulse typically in the numbers of Bible Sunday morning Bible class and worship. Sunday morning Bible class and worship is where the church grows. If you're going to start seeing bigger numbers on Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, or spiritual growth in your members, the feeding and the nurturing is going to typically take place on Sunday morning Bible class and Sunday morning worship. So that makes two people who might not be you, if you're preaching, and you're not in the teaching rotation for that Sunday morning class, that makes two other people very vitally important to the health of a congregation. And that's whoever's teaching that Bible class and whoever's leading the worship. Yeah. 
And I think if if you go in every Sunday and they're singing funeral dirges, and it's or they're off key and the bassist can't sing, and people are going to quit coming to worship because they're not. And I know you know you start <laughs> saying, "Well, I didn't get anything out of worship. We only get as much as you put into it." But at the same time, you know, as the minister and as the person trying to direct that worship, and and you you've put your effort in to to bring a good lesson. You got to have somebody who's energetic and, and positive or or at least if not always energetic at least somewhat has a, a game plan coming into like when the when the sermon and the songs okay they're all about gifts i'm preaching about gethsemane you're not going to sing high energy songs about gethsemane right right but to have the it's appropriate to have the in gethsemane alone and night with Eben pinion Led before you stand up and preach about there's Jesus on his knees in the garden. People notice that and it makes the worship experience yeah. positive. You know, Wiley Dean does a great job with singing workshops. He's out of Florence, Alabama. And he made a statement at his workshop one time and, and it stuck with me because I, I knew it intuitively, but I never put it together. And it is, he said, we never let a guy get up and preach if he hadn't prepared a sermon, if he hadn't thought about it, if right. he hadn't studied Right. He said, why do we just get any old guy, throw him up in the pulpit, say, hey, lead singing, and he'll say, hey, let's try number 25 with no context. He hadn't thought about the meaning of the song. So that's exactly what you're talking about. Uh, that needs to be appropriate. But Absolutely. That, that all gets back to training. The other thing I think is in, in training is, is training future leaders like elders and deacons and things. Absolutely. So all that's important. Uh, anything else while we got you on the podcast that, that's important, you think, to, to church growth, longevity, life? And, and well, and longevity, a lot of it, like I said, is the mentality of the preacher. If you go in wanting to do it, it's intentional. Yeah. You know, you, I don't think anybody just accidentally stays somewhere 25 years or 30 years. I think it's intentional. I think a lot of it has to do with the mentality not only of the preacher, of the congregation. You know, there's some congregations that I think they'll never have a preacher a long period of time because they don't necessarily want one all right and I, for whatever reason it, it may be yeah. there may be some elderships that are insecure and don't want a preacher to come in and stay seven years and get fully sunk in uh with the congregation like that it, good elders will that they, they, that's what they'll want for their congregation and i think a lot of it has to do with your teaching and, and education level and i learned this from my father and you know this and i've, I've always been in impressed with you because of this because uh, you know you you're 10 years younger than me and when you first got out and started preaching and i had been out there preaching for 10 years or however long you know prior to you starting i was always impressed with the fact that you were even though like you said a minute ago you didn't get your degree till later but you were you were as educated as somebody with a degree because you put in the personal study and i think any preacher that's going to stay somewhere has to have a commitment to study and not get apathetic or lethargic in your study habits. And that's, and that's hard. I mean, if we were just being honest yeah. to come sit in a little square cubicle by yourself, typically, you know, if you're blessed to be in a congregation where they've got a secretary where you can at least have a little human interaction another minister, yeah. or another minister, it's a huge thing where I'm at. I'm a, it's a one man show. If I go sit and study, it's me alone. And sometimes I find that hard to just go say, I'm going to force myself to go study a lesson or come up with a bulletin article or a Wednesday night class or teenage Devo or whatever. It takes a little discipline. Yeah. 
And and I was going to go back one more time to, to the pastoral epistles. So we're all familiar. I think everyone's familiar with First Timothy four twelve. Right. You know, don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example. But what he goes on down to say in verse thirteen, he says, "Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching." But then he says in verse fifteen, and this goes back to something you said earlier in the podcast. He says, "Practice these things. Be committed to them, so that your progress may be evident to all." Right. So. While you said earlier, you said, we're not doing this for show. You know, I don't visit for show or I don't do this for show. I don't do it to try to make it. You, you, we actually do. Like as a preacher, you have a job to make mm-hmm. sure that everybody, everybody, everybody's looking at you anyway. You need right. to just go ahead and accept that. Accept fact. it from the jump. You. Yep. So, you know, whatever you're doing in your ministry, you need to be cognizant of that fact. And then you need to acknowledge, I need to act in such a way that they're going to be encouraged to be closer to Christ. Right. So, well, and, and two... As young preachers, a lot of us walk around with chips on our shoulder because we're we move to a congregation. You've got eighty-year-old elders there, seventy-something-year-old elders. You're the preacher boy, and you preach a lot of times maybe to try to impress them or to let them know that you're qualified. And a lot of times, I think we miss the point when we do that. We, you know, Paul was once said, "I could, I'm here to preach Jesus and Him crucified. That's the focus." Yeah, and to Preach the truth to people. And once you do that, if you're putting in the study and the effort, like like that verse you just read, it's going to show. Yeah. And um, and, and I think you'd vouch for me on this too, or, or vouch the same idea on this. There are lots of opportunities out there right now for preachers to go back to school and to get a degree, a master's degree, a bachelor's degree. Most of our Christian colleges are often pretty good discounts. You know, some of them are often really good discounts. Yeah. Um, get back in school because uh, I, I graduated with my bachelor's in 93. In 98, I started on my master's and lasted one semester. And babies came along, life happened, and I was like, hey, this is too much. And I didn't start back on my... Uh, masters again until 2019 and in 20 so that's a jump of 20 years but of no schooling when i started back to school and i picked up started reading i really thought i was going to kill me at first but then once i kind of got into it i was like oh, man I, I, I like this challenge and i had forgotten how much i really enjoyed studying and studying sometimes just not for a sermon. Study for myself. Right, right. Well, and, and, and if you are in a small congregation, like when I first moved to Aniana, I was the Sunday morning Bible class teacher, the Wednesday night Bible class teacher, and preached both times. So I'm doing four lessons a week, a sermon, a, I mean, a bulletin article. If there was a devotional had, I'm doing that. Uh, we did radio program four <laughs> days a week. And we had a devotional at the nursing home every other Sunday. So there were some weeks where I was literally doing nine lessons. I studied only for my lessons and never studied for my personal growth. Yeah. And I think a lot of preachers get caught in that trap and then they, they, they either burn out or they just become lethargic in their study and their growth. And that's why when I say go back to school, just challenge yourself to stay educating yourself. Yeah, I, I know Uncle Wayman, your dad, and t- told me years ago that my, my grandf- our grandfather was a preacher too. Right. And, and he talked about his memory was great. He said, but, he said in his later years, he quit studying. 
Right. And because it's easy to, to feel like, well, I've arrived. Right. You know, I, I've learned what I need to know to, to teach and preach. And so I, I cannot echo that enough. Uh, when I went back in, to school, I went back the same time you did. We graduated the same semester. I, I with my bachelor's, you with your master's. Uh, and I'm planning on still getting my master's uh, down the road, hopefully. Um, but but even that, I, I'm constantly trying to consume books because there's so much I'm still learning. Yeah. And every time I take a course or read a new book, I'm thinking, man, I never saw that. I never learned yeah. that. I never heard that. You're challenging yeah. yourself. And, and I think that's super important. And so. that feeds your congregation because you, that's right. when you grow personally, that part that you just read and go, man, I never thought about that. Guess what that's going to do? It's going to work its way into one of your sermon points. Yeah. And then guess what every church member is going to do? They're going to do like you just read out of that book passage right there. They're going to see the progress. That's right. And, and it's going to and it's going to and it's going to challenge that's them right. and they're going to grow and they're going to go home and maybe talk about it with their kids or their grandparents or whoever. And so your growth can spark and inspire growth in others. And that's a and that's part of being a minister is to feed yeah. you know I, I know i know that's the elders <laughs> job the elders are the shepherds and they take the sheep to the pastures but in the modern society that we have i think probably the greatest tool in the hands of an eldership is a preacher sure who can say hey green green hay over here that's it. That's it. Well, hey, man, I appreciate your time. We, 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 we I appreciate you having this discussion. It's been a great discussion. Uh, anyone hears this, wants to reach out to you, talk to you about ministry. Absolutely. Life, welcome to do that. Uh, give me a shout, everybody, and I can get you in touch with Bob, get you his contact information. Uh, until next time, we appreciate it. Thank you for having me.